Privacy is extremely important. Each of us has our own scale of what we consider sacred. You might be listening to this and feel comfortable with sharing your home address with me. You you shouldn't, but you also might be the kind of person that wouldn't even tell me what you had for breakfast. On the surface, you'd think that operating a SaaS business isn't personal, right? We all have perfect work-life balance and never feel either side of the scale tip towards one another. Well, in reality, operating a SaaS business is completely personal. It's something that Patrick Campbell has talked extensively about, especially with the recent acquisition of ProfitWell by Paddle. Today's guest is Arvid Kahl. He's an entrepreneur and writer extraordinaire who has a lot to share in the realm of what vulnerability-based marketing means. Fortunately, he didn't keep his conversation with PC private. We are thrilled to give you actionable advice on the best practices for working in public coming up next. From Paddle is Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Paddle CSO Patrick Campbell interviews Arvid Call about building in public. We talk about the intangible rewards of selling a company, coping with grief after an exit, the fundamentals of building in public, why losses resonate more than wins, and how authenticity scales. Timestamps to each section are listed in the show notes below. And after you finish the episode, check out the in-depth field guide that'll help you work in public just like Arvid. What's up, man? I'm excited to chat, mainly because as we were just talking about, uh, you and I, I feel like we're friends, even though we have never had a voice conversation. I didn't even know what your voice, well, I've watched some of your video stuff, so I know what your voice sounded like, but uh, I'm excited to chat, man, but I'm, I'm glowing already. So who are you? What do you do? Introduce yourself. Oh man, hey, uh, it's really nice talking to you. And it's funny that you opened up with uh, essentially like a parasocial relationship thing, which is, um, that, that that is a problem that people in, in virtual communities have all the time, right? Like you, you think you know somebody, you built this kind of Twitter relationship, but then you figure out, oh, I actually don't know them at all. So yeah, who am I? Good question. I mean, I'm going to try and be quick about this. My name's Arvid. I, uh, apparently people like me on Twitter. And I've been been an entrepreneur for a long time. I've been a software engineer for a longer time. And now I'm a writer too. I just love doing this apparently. So sold a business. Turned out that that was one of the best things I ever did because it opened up a whole world to me in terms of being able to teach people, to engage with people, to help them build businesses, sell businesses. And I just hang out on Twitter for like... I guess 24 hours a day, apparently. And it's it's been a blast over the last couple of years, just establishing my own little media business that I have. But I've been in building like software enabled businesses for must've been 15, 20 years at this point. Mm. Oh, so you're younger than, or you're older than you look. That's what you're basically saying. <laughs> I think, yeah. think I'm 37. So I've been doing this for go. a whole lot of, whole lot of years. That's a very German answer for you. I gave you an out and you were like, no specificity. I'm there has to be yeah. data <laughs> to back Are this you, up. Uh, for for folks who don't know you, so so I, I found you through Twitter, read your book, those types of things. Like, give us give us a little breakdown. You started getting into it, but what you're doing right now, like you have a chorus book. Like, tell us a little bit about that, and then the last couple or last SaaS business um, that you ended up selling, because most of the audience is SaaS, and so I don't want them to think, oh, who's this media guy I brought on? I want them to know <laughs> yeah. that you you got some SaaS chops there. Building a media empire. Turns out, funny enough, this is very close to building a SaaS. Something that I've been doing for, I think, since 2010-ish or something. I've been in building software my whole life. Kind of when I was a kid, I already went to like a special school that would teach us coding when I was like 11 or 12. It was awesome. I just always loved the computer. First time I saw one and I saw what it could do, I was like, I'm going to do this. I, I, I really knew that software, the, the capacity of telling a machine what to do, once I figured out that computers allowed me to do that and not just play games like Prince of Persia, one of the best games ever then. Once I understood that, I always been spending my time on this. And I went to university for computer science. I failed horribly. I went to university for philosophy and political science, failed horribly again. It was great. I learned a lot of things. I just never got a degree. But in not having a degree, I needed to 
you know, find a job, went to uh, build websites for people. And at some point, somebody talked to me, hey, you want to work for us? We're a Silicon Valley business. We, uh, you seem to use the same technology on your GitHub page that we use in our product. You can want to come, come over and, and work? And I was like, sure, why not? Because every coder would want to do that, right? So I worked for a VC-funded uh, SaaS business for a while, came back to Germany, where I'm from, did a couple little projects on the side, started several SaaS businesses back in 20. 14, 15 with friends and um, colleagues from the prior VC experience and all of them went somewhere and then flopped. So that was great. Learned a lot about what not to do in building SaaS. Then I became an actual employee at a business like because I thought I'm going to experience like German software engineering, which you can probably uh, imagine to be quite different from like, you know, California, Silicon Valley style of, of um, software building or building tools. So that was cool. And while I was doing that, I was living in Berlin. I was commuting a lot to Hamburg in Germany, which is like a two and a half hour train commute. I read all the books on entrepreneurship. I listened to all the podcasts on you know indie hackers and all that kind of stuff. I learned a lot and I thought, maybe it's time to look into opportunities here. And at the time, my my girlfriend that was living with in Berlin, she was an online English teacher and she had problems with her online English teaching. We talked, she had an idea, I built it for her mostly. We figured out, huh, this could be something for other people too. And being a software engineer, having built SaaS businesses for the last decade of my life at that point, was just like, okay, let's build it as a SaaS and then see if people need it. We went into the communities, talked to people, figured out what they needed, built that for them into the, the prototype and released it. And there was Feedback Panda, our uh, teacher, online English teacher productivity tool, which kind of helped them do administrative stuff, like condensed two works, two hours of work into five minutes of work in a day, which is substantial. They paid us a monthly, monthly fee. Obviously, we used the fine tool ProfitWell to track. <laughs> yeah, we really did. Absolutely. Like we we tracked our... Yeah, it, w- it was really nice. Um, it was, uh, that's why I'm here, right? No, it, w- it was um, quite useful to to understand, to already know what SaaS businesses were about building one. So my, my experience in building all these failed businesses where I did all the wrong things and didn't track the right things, kind of that helped me get to the point where Feedback Banner could be, be a success. We bootstrapped the whole thing from start to finish. We sold it. We, we got acquired just before we hit the two-year mark. At that point, we had $55,000 in monthly recurring revenue, which you could probably cross-check because, you, you know. <laughs> no, but <laughs> Only with permission. Only yeah, with permission. That's right. Yes, I yeah, give yeah, you yeah. express permission to look back into that time because obviously we don't own it anymore, right? The, the software is, is now owned by, by SureSwift Capital, a private equity company. They took it over. They, they still are running it. It's still doing good. So I'm glad to, to see the business still be out there. And after that, I fell into the void of despair because selling your business is amazing, as you can probably attest. I think um, what happened to you over the last couple of months probably changed your life in ways that you never imagined, because it's certainly on a, on a smaller scale did the same for us. Uh, although at that point, doesn't matter, right? Like it's a life changing event. Doesn't matter how, how many zeros are involved at that point. What does matter is that our purpose and passion that we both had for the, not the business, the business was a vehicle for helping and empowering people that actually needed our help, the teachers, online teachers. And that went away. It all went away. Like we sold the business, like the champagne corks, like shot up in the air, the bank account, you know, exploded. And then we noticed, hmm, nothing changed, but we just lost something significant. Our, the source, the engine of our purpose and we both struggled with that in both our ways. Like both Danielle and I had different ways of coping with that. For me, my way of coping was writing about it. I never was a writer before. Like German is my first language. English is my second language. There's always this kind of, you know, you, you don't want to write in a language you don't know. But I thought, I know so much now from my experience of decade of doing these things. I have to kind of share it. I have to give other people the opportunity because people... Uh, who were there like you and on podcasts and in, in your writing and, and the things you've been doing while I was learning, were doing this in their free time while they were running businesses. So now it was my time to do the same, to be that person, to help other people get to where, where I was already. And I started writing, started the blog. People told me, hey, 
this is cool. Can you turn this into a book maybe? And I said, sure. And I turn it into Secrets of Sold. And then people talk to me, hey, this part of the book, can you talk more about this? Sure. Then I wrote The Embedded Entrepreneur, which is my second book. And then people told me, hey, this is actually mostly a Twitter course. Can you do a Twitter course? And I said, sure. And now find your following came out. It's honestly, I'm just doing whatever I want that people tell me what they like. And I keep doing this. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. That's my media business in quotation marks. So basically, if you would like Arvid to go research something, and uh, do do deep deep writing on it. Just uh, just ask him. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> we, honestly, yeah, I, that's what I do every week. Every week, there's a topic that comes from the community because I'm very active on Twitter. Just earlier today, um, I I broke like eighty thousand followers or something, which is mind blowing. But those people, I, I follow like think fourteen thousand at this point of them. And the conversations that happen, that's where I source the things that I talk about. Because I know that the community cares about it. And I want to... Because they're giving you that feedback, yeah. That, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing feedback loop. Something that I really, really like. And we can keep talking about this if you want to. But like having this kind of public conversation that is both surrounding you and you're participating in it. That, that is for a, a media business, which is what I, I consider the thing I'm doing. It's substantial. Every week, the thing that I talk about is relevant to the ongoing conversation. It's influenced by it. It's not controlled by it, but because I still make the choice. But it's always useful. And I, kinda, I hope that it in some way gives back to the community in some capacity. Yeah, and I want to I get deep into build in public because I think that there's part of it I kind of get. But it's kind of like, it always reminds me, build in public reminds me of one of those things that when it first comes out, if you don't understand it, you think it's just this really flimsy thing. Like, remember when Snapchat came out, everyone was like, this is so kids can send naked pictures to one another. And like all of us old people just didn't understand. Right. And then, you know, it's obviously grown and, and it's so much bigger than, you know, we thought. But um, with that weird metaphor out of the way, before we get there, you mentioned something about purpose. Can you describe what losing that purpose felt like? And to give context, I think that a lot of people, the end is selling, the end is IPO or, you know, going down in flames. You know, there's always that end and that's just built into the experience, right? Um, yes, there's cash flowing bootstrap businesses, those types of things, but like, you know, there's always an end, you know, even in those, even if it's 50 years from now that you're envisioning. Tell us about what that end felt like. It was both one of the, the most culminating moments of my career as, as a rather new entrepreneur because we've been as much as i've been considering myself an entrepreneur in the past i was kind of more entrepreneur like somebody who was trying to build businesses but with with feedback plan it actually wasn't an, an honest effort like something that where we really we quit our jobs and we went full-time right that never happened before it was always just and and i i love the idea of like having a lot of side projects which is great you can see which ones work and which ones don't but that one wasn't that one was a real thing and it turned into a real thing from being a side project and it felt like this, the success of that actually happening, that was what I always dreamt of. Oh yeah, I, I make millions, right? That's kind of the, that's as far as I thought in terms of goals, right? It's, it's, uh, it didn't even resonate with me that that was a possibility for me in the past. Because I come from meager means, family has always been just like workers and there's, there's no capital, no, no real like ownership of anything. Uh, wealth in the family, just like regular dudes and dudettes, right? Doing the thing. And uh, as a person being raised in that environment, I never thought that this would even be a possibility for me. That was for other people. So when it happened, when it was a possibility, when um, Kevin from SureSwift reached out to us and talked about numbers that I could not fathom in, in a potential acquisition target, I was like, okay, well, this is happening. And when it then happened, uh, it was a mind-blowing thing like uh, it was like well, so now what do i do <laughs> right because you don't really know how to deal with this as a person that is not taught at any point how to a do it or then deal with the consequences like how to deal with money invest money and all these things it's 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 a problem but that's the good part and then there was the part where it was like okay now i i give up all of this to somebody else and then what do i do and that's the part that i talk about most because most founders focus on the you know, the, the money part, which is great. And it comes with its own set of problems, but that can be solved funny enough with money, you know, but the other part, the part where the meaning of your work comes not from the goal. It's in the journey. It's, it's this whole thing. It's like journey before destination, right? Which is um, so adequately. And I, I guess 
um, very verbosely expressed in the, the fantasy novels by Brandon Sanderson, which I highly recommend for anybody to read The Way of Kings and, and that stuff. A recurring theme in these books is that the journey is way more important than the destination. Because the destination, goals that you set, you reach them. And then what? Right? But if the journey is the thing you care about, the on, the process, the ongoing practice of doing something, then you have something to hold on to at whatever happens, right? In any kind of situation. And I noticed that I had always just thought about the goals, always just thought about the potential exit. We built a, built a sellable business. The idea was to make Feedback Panda as sellable as possible and then never sell it. Because a sellable business is a business that runs well, that's highly automated, well documented, and you can essentially delegate all of your tasks that you have as a solopreneur to somebody else because that's what makes it sellable, right? Because the, the moment you have a, a manual for your business, you could just hand that over to somebody else. They can buy the whole thing and then you sell it, they buy it. So a business that is structured like this, particularly in the indie hacker world, is extremely valuable for that particular purpose. We built it like that. And that was always the goal. But we noticed that the joy came not from having a sellable business. The joy came from having these conversations with these online English teachers who told us, hey, I've been using your tool for two months and I get to spend way more time with my kids. Now I actually know what they do in their afternoons. Or now I get to have conversations with my partner that I never had the time for or even the, the mind space for before. That was the impact that we had. And that was also the thing that was gone when we sold the business, knowing that we did that and that we kept doing that. Yeah, you don't realize that impact at the time. Like you do, like objectively you see it, but you're so focused on there's this fire, this optimization, this documentation, et cetera. I, you know, have recently gone through this as well. And, and it's kind of funny. It's like wisdom has to be learned. It can't be taught, right? So maybe this is a useless conversation because, yes. you know, Just people, talk people about aren't going to know it. But no, no, but... Uh, <laughs> I think for me, it was it was a very hard, and I hedged it a little bit because I had talked to about 30 other founders before selling uh, who had sold, and 15 of them, they like basically uh, said they wouldn't have done it again. They all have the money, so who knows how honest that is. And then of those 15, seven just gave over the keys. like They were just like, see ya, here you go. All of them were miserable. They were the most miserable group, and three of them actually became drug addicts or alcoholics, which is kind of, they're all good now, but it was, it was pretty bad. And I think that we don't think about this journey as purpose. We think of it as, you know, I got to catch the car and then we catch the car and we don't know what to do with our lives, uh, which is, you know, it's a champagne problem, like, you know, almost literally. And so, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you mostly because of my own therapy here. Uh, this is my, my therapy this is why I podcast basically, but uh, oh, I love that. I love being able to just give you give you a data point here. Honestly, I, I remember you talking about this on the Indie Hackers podcast with Cortland and Channing, uh, I guess, too, right? So it, it was um, when you said that, I was like, I totally understand this because fortunately, Danielle and I, not, not just business partners, also life partners, well, you so we, we had the, yeah, so the opportunity yeah. to... What do you feel? Okay, I feel like this. Yes, I resonate with that. So, so it's not just me, right? So we we had we could deal with it uh, together, and it took us different approaches and a different amount of time to get over it because it is it is morning. Like if you give up something completely, I hesitate to make the comparison to a child because it's not. It's a business, right? It's, it may be incorporated, but it is incorporeal, right? It doesn't have a body, but it is a uh, it's a thing that you build an emotional attachment to. It's a, it's a project. Let's call it that. It's a very involved, emotionally involved project of any business. And I bet you know that because like if there is one founder that is involved in their business, I would think it's you. Um, <laughs> yeah, because for better you, and for been, worse. <laughs> well, exactly. And, and that's the problem, right? It's a, it comes with so much joy and so much self-realization, but it also comes with jealousy of other people who now have it or it comes with with loss with grief with mourning because you don't have it anymore it, it was maybe never yours to have but you built this emotional connection with it right and that is something that just like you said has to be experienced can only be learned it cannot be taught and i noticed that because anything i'm saying right now 
I've heard on so many podcasts, like the Built to Sell podcast by Warlow, right? You might have thought, you might have thought like, hey, that's not true. That's not going to happen to me. Like that's, that's what I always do with that. I know what I'm doing and I'm, I know what I'm going to do next. Because in in my very, very simple mind at that point, I was like, hey, I'm going to sell the business and then I'm going to play World of Warcraft for a year. Like that's just what I thought would bring me joy. And then I noticed a week into that, this is not what it used to be. Because I had I had leveled up my my understanding of what actually helping or actually doing meaningful work was. But back in, in 2006 or whatever, when I was playing World of Warcraft very much, like so much that I dropped out of university twice, you know, you see kind of the things connecting here. It, it was great. Uh, the, the purpose like that came from gaming, from the community within the game, it kind of allowed me to, as a German, learn how to speak English fluently in a in the context of actually accomplishing something, even though it was just killing a dragon in a game. You know, it is a it was a teaching tool for me as well. But I, I tried to go back to this. It was just so virtual, just so so abstract that it was not the thing that I craved anymore. I have found it again with writing and with communicating with people. But it it just I kind of pulled the rug under under myself like from under myself at that point because I thought I knew what my mind was doing but I did not I was not aware of the the depth of connection that I had with the project. How's that for you? Like how are you dealing with this right now? Because you, I know you're still in this and for a while, but it's probably different, right? I'll be honest, not well. But for I think all of the reasons I didn't suspect, I think that. What's really funny is, is and I don't know how it was it for you, but, but everyone thinks about it, everyone who's not in the chair or hasn't been in the chair before, um, the founder chair, not necessarily a CEO chair, but like in a founder chair, they think it's all about control. Like I get a lot of people, oh, is it hard not having control? Is it hard not having, and it's kind of like, well, I don't feel like I had control before because we had a team and the team like. Faku ran product and Peter ran sales and I ran this part. And, you know, I was working my way out of running that part. And like, you know, like, like they think it's like a control and, you know, that's, that's where the joy comes from. And it's more around not second guessing the decision because it was the right decision. And I'm actually very happy, but it's this weird, like it's now something else. And I haven't adjusted to it being something else because it went like that, right? Because your head's down in diligence, you're doing all of these things. And then all of a sudden it's like, you wake up and you're like, great, now we have to fix this problem. And like you're in, it's almost like you, you enter into the company halfway through it, right? Like, and it's your company. Like I paddle is my company just as much as it's, you know, the rest of the exec team and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's the, the role I wanted, right? That's why we didn't sell to you know, much larger companies or those types of things. Cause we wanted, we wanted that ownership. Faku's running product, all these other things. And I think it was a lot easier for Faku because it was, Hey, you're running product. It's very defined. Right. And Peter, it's like, you're basically running the sales teams and then some that you already were right. Very defined marketing team. You're going to move under the greater marketing team, but you're, there's not, there wasn't a lot of crossover where it was like, well, these two people are doing the same thing. But for me, I moved into this chief strategy officer role, which is a great role because it's kind of how you define it and how you want it to be defined and how the team needs it to be defined. But that's the downside too, is it's not really defined. Right. And so, you know, we didn't really define it at first and, um, then we defined it. Then it's like that definition sort of works, but part of it doesn't work anymore. And so there's a lot of like the storming and norming as they talk about. And I think when you layer on top of that, all of a sudden you've reached the car, like you, like we talked about, and it's almost as if, you have those existential conversations and thoughts that you were talking about, but I have a distraction, right? Your distraction was World of Warcraft, which has, you know, as much as possible. And I also max, I maxed, like, it's funny. I haven't played in a long time. And then within the last four months, I maxed out a character and was like, all right, I'm done. Like, I totally, like, I also went there, which is kind of funny. But it's it's one of those things to make a long story short where I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm going through the existential crisis that I think every founder does, whether it's a great exit, whether it's a bad exit. And this is a phenomenal exit in so many different ways. It's a phenomenal partnership with Paddle in so many different ways. And it's, you know, we're going through integration woes, but all of those integration woes are the product and the vision is just peanut butter and jelly. The, you know, there's not a lot of redundancy, if any redundancy, like, like, and it's all the natural, like, well, neither of us have thought about this. What should we do as a joint group? Or we've thought about this or you've thought about this and we haven't or vice versa. Like what should we decide is the joint thing, right? And so that that's taxing, but it's like a distraction from the existential piece. And so my emotions, I went from like this 
Like I work so hard to get so level and neutral at like my emotional reactions to now it's like all over the place, right? I'm dealing with it and it's a, again, it's a champagne problem, but it's also a problem, you know? And so I'm honestly having conversations. I've been going to a couple of founder events and stuff and like, that's great. Cause I'm like, oh, we're all dealing with like, you know, I'm not lonely and you know, that type of thing, but thanks for asking. That's, that's kind of how I'm thinking about thanks it. Thanks for, thanks for sharing this. I, I mean, I see now, I mean, it's not surprising, but that you use this as a, as a therapy session and I'm glad to, to, to be first of all, like, I'm really mean it to be part of this because I know how hard it is to find people to talk to about this. The people you want to talk to about this may not be accessible, like particularly in like ahead of the actual sale. And even after the sale, everybody's busy and nobody really wants to talk about emotional stuff. Well, while too the much, sale's so. going on, it doesn't even, doesn't even feel real. Right. So you're like, why would I talk about it? Like it's I'm not, it's not done until it's done. That's what everyone says and what you should believe. And so you, you don't even think to think about this. Stuff. Yeah. You deprioritize your own mental health again. Right. As a founder, you often do this because there's a, a higher goal, a higher yep. thing for you. There's a number, there's a something. Yeah. I want to say one thing about the, the way you say like champagne problem. I, I know what that means. And I, I know that it's that it's usually a kind of self-derogatory phrase, but I would like to to give you, I wouldn't say permission, but your problems are your problems. Like everybody has problems on the level that they're at. Like 20 years ago, your problems were just as real, right? To you at that point. And they were just as much in the way of you growing and overcoming your obstacles as they are right now. I know compared to other people's problems, these aren't problems, but they are. Right. Like in, in the context of your just allow your your mind, it's kind of what I would suggest to your brain is to uh, allow your mind to see your problems as just as meaningful as they were when you were a kid. And, you know, not being able to ride a bike was a problem. You know, like it's, they, they may be like irrelevant in, in a greater context, but you are your own context. So just wanted to say this. There we go. And I've gotten permission, everyone. It's public. I've gotten permission. I'm allowed to I'm allowed to have my problems. What, what I, like I really that. like is that you publicly talk about these things. That is that is maybe why I'm so adamant about talking about this right now is that I see too few founders talk about this and I see too many founders need to know more about this. Which is why I speak out about this whenever I can. So sorry about barraging you about these topics right now. But no, I think it's no, super no. important. But I think it I think it's really important and, and we're going to talk about building public in a second because I think that's a huge advantage of it. But to, to round this out, I think it's a lot of fear, right? So, you know, I, I can obviously be fired, but also I, um, I don't have like a lockup period or anything like that. Right. So it's a very like, like I'm at paddle cause I want to be there. Right. And, and I, I think that the reason I say that is because there's always a fear of like, I can't talk about this because I either look dumb or I feel like someone's going to take the, like someone's going to be like, oh, the transition's having trouble. Oh my God, everything's, and it's like, no, like every integration is bad. This is why people tell you, not bad, but like takes work. This is why everyone tells you integration's really hard and you don't, again, kind of like wisdom, you don't believe it until you're in it, right? And um, I think there's also like, a, I have found every time, maybe not on like a public podcast, but like every time I talk about something that like makes me insecure um, about building a company, like, messing this thing up or that, I all of a sudden have like, oh yeah, that happened to me. Or, oh yeah, that happens all the time. And you're like, oh, I'm not alone. And I think, I think that's a big thing of why I talk about it is because it gives me some catharsis. And also it like, like there's going to be someone who's going to text me who's had an exit and is like, yeah, this sucked. I, this is really bad for me. Here's what I did. And I can go, oh, great. Like I'm going to try that or, oh, like that's not for me, but that made me think of this. And so I think it's huge. What is building in public, right, first? And then I'd like to get into, like, the why. I'm not a skeptic. I'm a little bit of a skeptic. Let's put it that way. Uh, but, like, I am one who does this, but also as a strategy, like, kind of questions some of it. And I'll, t I'll talk about the why, and it's the natural whys or the skepticism that I'm sure you've heard many times before. But what is build in public, and why should people build in public? So the, the most, like, compressed definition that I can give is it's just sharing the journey of building your business in front of an audience of your peers, your founder peers, and your prospective customers, your existing customers, and your ex-customers, really. Like everybody who you would think as an audience, as a term that is not defined in time, but by scope. 
really, right? Your, your audience is everybody who might want to know more about you, who does know enough about you, or who knew you back then. That's your audience. And that's what building public is. You, you act in front of these people. Sometimes it's in the same format. If you like sell software to people, it's on Twitter in front of your founder peers who are on Twitter and your software customers who are on Twitter. Sometimes it's half here, half there in front of your founder peers, and then maybe on LinkedIn for all your recruitment uh, or recruiter customers or whatever. It really doesn't have to be done on the same platform. The idea is to share your journey in a public way that is not just highlighting your, you know, showing your highlight reel, but actually sharing the, the steps, the decisions, the ups, the downs, the experiments, the wins, the losses along the way. It's very vulnerability-based, and I guess that's how, how we can relate this to the, the prior conversation we had, because it's about opening up, sharing things that you that might, in a more traditional sense, be risky to admit, right? Admitting failure, ad admitting experiments going wrong. But that is the stuff that actually builds meaningful, trust-based, long-term relationships. And that's what building in public is about. It's not a marketing gag. It's not a, a marketing kind of activity where you get so-and-so many more potential leads for your business because they now follow you, not just for the business, but for the journey. Is not that. It can be just that if you only do it on the surface. But what it is, what I've experienced it to be for myself, is building relationships that... It's kind of the, the difference between a finite game and an infinite game. I think one of the most recent episodes on Seth Godin's Akimbo podcast which I highly recommend for everybody to listen to, was about this, about the difference between games, finite games, and infinite games. Game, games that you keep playing to be part of them, right? To, to, you can't win them. You can just stay in them. And building a business, just becoming better at being an entrepreneur is an infinite game. While running a flash sale, that's a finite game. That's a short thing, right? You can either win it or lose it, depending on how many people buy. But making relationships happen that over time will present you with opportunities and partnerships and potential sales, but also maybe somebody just talking about your business to other people who then amplify it to their own peers, you never know. And building a public leaves these traces of your ambition in your community of both the founder part and the potential customer part for other people to find and connect back to you and then be genuinely curious about the person that shared so much about their ambition to help them. It's about like, you know, building building a, a, a relationship that is where it's very clear that you're trying to serve and empower somebody else, not just enrich yourself. So, sorry, I, I try to be short, but I can't. No, 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 that's great. About this I guess, no, no, of course. And that was that was a really good explanation. I guess, I guess my question is, so let me maybe clarify. So building in public is basically... It's not strictly content marketing, but it is content that you share, I'm sure, blog posts, podcasts, tweets, whatever it is, on the journey. And it's the good, the bad, the learnings. You're trying to be helpful. And you, yeah, it's just the good, the bad, all the things. And the, the reason we do this is the transparency leads to more learnings and the transparency leads to more people connecting with you. Thereby, it is good for business and it's also good for you and your development. Is that like a good, a good, like tight definition or what and why? One, yes, absolutely. One thing that makes it a bit more clearer is like bringing those things together in, in the form and the shape of feedback cycles. If you are constantly sharing things, if you are constantly explaining yourself or just explaining your decision-making process or showing what you've been doing, then you get feedback much faster than if you just do it in private and then a half a year later release the thing and it just fizzles out. Right. So most of building in public is really about establishing first brittle and then later more solid feedback cycles with the people that surround you. And for an entrepreneur, that's why it's it's happening in front of two audiences at the same time, which is something that often confuses people because they see it as a thing that you do towards your customers because you want to get more customers, you want to get more sales happening and stuff. But that's not the only thing. Because if you build in public in front of the, the founder peers and your prospective customers, you get different feedback from different like mindsets on the same stuff. And while your customers may love a thing, free trials always a big hit, right? Your founder peers who've been through this and who've had their businesses implode under them, just thinking about like bare metrics with their attempt, right? That was a thing. Like when, when, when they implemented free, free accounts and stuff, you get information that comes back immediately. Like if I were to build a SaaS business today in front of my audience and I would tell them, hey, I'm going to implement a free tier, I would argue that within 15 minutes, somebody would link me to Josh Pickford's blog post about how it almost killed their business. And that is a feedback cycle that you can nourish because you share interesting stuff. The people around you know what you're interested in. 
They know your great source of expert content, either by writing it yourself, talking about it, or like getting it from, from the outside and bringing it into their, their field of view. And then they give you back as well because they know what resonates with you. It's relationship building at scale in public. And feedback cycles are at the core of all of this. So it seems really obvious for like a, a founder, I would argue bootstrapped or not, like just someone building a business or let's say building something. What about someone who works somewhere? What about a VP at a company or something of that sort? Like, what do you think of like, is this for everybody or is this just for works best for certain people? I think anything you can be an expert in, which in our day and age is everything, right? Beanie babies, anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The thing is like every, everything you do, you can come become better at, right? You can always learn to be better at something. And the process of learning is something you can share. I just read this book and understand this concept. Or here's a resource I found today uh, researching this particular thing. Maybe you can find it too. The, the core principle of building in public is to know that somebody else out there is trying to do the exact same thing you're doing in a different industry, hopefully, and they are two weeks behind. And anything you can help them with that you just learned within the last two weeks is worth sharing because those people can then get to whatever they want to do faster. That's the idea of building in public. And it can be so basically, right? Transparency to an audience leads to feedback cycles and spread because other people want to learn the thing that you feel like you've learned. And then you there and learn and spread even further. So yeah, it's a nice learn teach cycle. There. You, you, you teach what you, what you just learned. People learn it, come back to you with a potentially different perspective or clarification questions. They make you look into this again, learn more about it, teach more about it. And, you know, that's the cycle too. And that's, that's something that is both very selfish because it's obviously about yourself building a brand, building reputation as an expert and following or whatever there might be. But it's also super selfless because you are literally teaching, not for yourself, but for the people who are in the space, either potential customers who want to learn more about their market or your founder peers who want to build similar businesses and want you as one of their partners or potential, you know, like co cooperators in the future, whatever it might be. It's a, it's kind of a balance between this very selfish salesy marketing thing where you tell people that they really need to buy your thing. And this very selfless, I share everything in the hopes that it will help somebody else. Yeah. It's that help sells concept too, which I think is great. Before I get into some skeptical questions how like i know you have a course on like you know basically like you talked a lot about embedded entrepreneurship these types of things like what's the how is it as simple as just like because because i think that i've seen a lot of people build in public and some of them it's like a stream it's like every thought like there's no curation and then others it seems to always be the positive stuff and or it seems to always be one like all about marketing or whatever which is fine because maybe that's the thing they're struggling with and learning but I guess like, what's, what's the how? Like, how do you build in public? Or maybe it doesn't matter. It's just share as much as you think. While you're answering your own question, I'm quite glad about this because the how is so uniquely different depending on who you are, how you communicate and how you communicate well as a person, right? Some people like me can write thousands of words on a particular issue and still not run out of ideas. Other people want it to be as dense as possible because they have no time for that, right? It's, it's, a, it's a personal choice on how you communicate, but also who you communicate with. Like if you have a group of people that is, that is willing to spend a lot of time just reading and listening to whatever people have to say, then if you have this kind of 10 things a day kind of cadence, that's fine. If your, your audience, the people you want to talk to are super busy, you might want to make it count, right? It really depends on, on who you, you're intentionally talking to. So knowing that, that's the start. That's where how starts. How starts with understanding who your potential audience is. Like you so have you're to still finding out. an audience. You're not just screaming into the void. You still have defined an ICP or customer yes. profile or a segment or something. About it's it. a very okay. niche specific thing. At least that's my experience with it because you can probably build a very generic, general kind of audience, but it's always, it's always much harder to speak to different kinds of people about the same thing than it is to speak to a very homogenous, goal-oriented, very aligned group of people. And that's what most founders do in the indie space, at least in the VC space, I guess, too, in their particular niche, right? The niche you have, the, the people you want to serve and empower, that's where it starts. That's the how. The how is mostly a who. Like, who am I going to help? 
And then the how comes from that, because first off, there's probably people who are already doing it, so you can get inspired by them. Or you can figure out how can I trans translate what other people do in other industries into this one. And honestly, the, the, the easiest way to build in public is just to share any kind of experiment you run, anything, anything you try that's new, new feature, new landing page, new I don't know, new developer that you hired, like anything that is that is new to your process. Then once you've figured out how to communicate these things, you start talking about the decisions behind them. Like today I'm I'm pondering, I often do this like in, in my writing, what should I write about? Is this topic more interesting or this one? Or um, this seems to be a problem. What do you think of this? That get people's feelings on where decisions go and share the process of you thinking through that. Like my second book that I wrote, it is now called The Embedded Entrepreneur because, the, well, we'll get to that. It started out being called Audience First and people read that and told me what you write in the, the first couple chapters that you released because I wrote it in public, right? Because it's nice. Um, it does not match the title. Audience First is not this. I understand it to be something different. That was a Twitter conversation. And then people said, I would recommend renaming the book. The content is great. It's just the wrong name for it. And then over a day, I conversed with like hundreds of people on Twitter until somebody suggested The Embedded Entrepreneur. The book title that I got came from a Twitter conversation. And it's so much better because it defines what it is, not just what I thought it might be about before I wrote the book. And that's a feedback cycle. That's the kind of uh, deliberation in public of something as important as the title of your business or your product, really, that First off, it creates a better product, right? Because obviously the outcome is already pre-validated through this conversation that you're having. It creates a bond between the person, the people involved in the conversation because now they are invested in the process, right? They are part of the product. And it then also shows a collective gain of expertise because we all got smarter in the process. And that is something that projects outward. People are attracted by conversations like this. And people who smartly and kindly and friendly communicate with each other about meaningful things. So that's kind of, that's how building in public works. Just any experiment, any thought you have, any um, success or failure, that's the next part, right? I tried this, didn't work. Like I occasionally I talk about these things as well, because I feel it's very important to kind of go around our notion of not talking about losses and uh, failure, because it's embarrassing or something like that. I, I forced myself to talk about things that didn't go the way that I wanted them because A, it allows me to get an outside perspective, which is again, therapy, right? because you're always embarrassed by these things. You don't want things to not work. So having somebody else say, hey, actually that happened to me too. And like a couple of years later, it doesn't matter anymore. Great, right? Talk to them. Then it shows that you're actually true, truthful, right? You're, you're a genuine person that has ups and downs. Nobody has ups only, right? Anybody who only talks about their highlight reel, their ups, they're keeping something from you on purpose. There's some some kind of lying in not sharing the negative stuff. And people people know that. Like anybody we want to build a relationship with, like we want it to be, to be based on trust. We don't want it to be based on, you know, just knowing that they're great. Like, like them being a hero. Well, you don't. That's the thing. You don't really trust a hero. You know that there's something going on, right? Most narratives that you find in books, there's always kind of a um, something negative there that they try to hide. So people think you hide something too. And if you don't hide it, well, then you're just a much more relatable person. And I like talking about this. It forces me to be honest with myself, right? Didn't work out. Got to deal with this. And in public, it also gives people a very accurate understanding of what you're doing and how the journey actually works, right? If I sh share, I tried to build a feature, it completely flopped. Then a couple, hopefully a couple dozen, if not a hundred, a couple hundred of founders have understood that even somebody who's been doing this for a long time tries things that fail and then still keeps going. If that alone is, is worth like doing this for me. So along the how here, do you find like the wins feel easier to to share? Obviously, oh, absolutely. Do you structure like are you treating this kind of like a content plan and your strategy or your mindset is built in public so that you know each week you're like planning your tweets and you're 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 not being as reactionary or you're planning your blog posts that type of a thing, and and it 
probably ebbs and flows a little bit, but is there a, is there a structure to this or is it literally just like, keep remembering, Oh, I've only shared positive stuff. Here's the negative thing. Like try to give me a little bit of, of, of a framework on the how a little bit too. Cause I think that'd be useful for folks. Yeah. I, I tried initially to, to do it without any kind of structure. And that felt like kind of just like floating along. Then I tried to have a lot of structure and that didn't work because that's just not how I work. I, I, hate, I hate structure, which is the whole reason I became an entrepreneur. So I didn't have to work to somebody else's structure. Right? That was kind of one of the points, which I only noticed in retrospect, of course. But, you know, that, that is uh, I didn't like that either. Now, it's it's mostly a mix erring on the side of being too loose because I don't want to overstructure things. But when I it's kind of a, a three to one situation, like three great things. Then I, I kind of internally force myself to pay more attention to the negative stuff. I think one of the most important things in, in being able to build in public is to train yourself to see, sounds so bland, but content opportunities in everything you do. Like anything you do could be something that you could potentially share. And the more you train yourself to not omit the negative stuff, even in recognizing that it could be content, the more it just jumps up into your field of vision and then you can pick it when you when you feel like it. But yeah, if, if you need a number or if anybody needs a number, I think three to one is a pretty sizable amount of negative stuff compared to the, you know, a hundred to zero that other people use in terms of hundred good things and nothing negative. And that's kind of where my, my skepticism comes in, right? Because there's this natural, when you try to scale authenticity, it can be really hard, right? Like, and you're trying to be authentic. And so I guess- Two skeptical questions, right? And and I'll try to almost uh, steel man them myself or, or straw man them myself here. Like one, people who have a hundred to zero ratio, it just doesn't work as well because people don't see the bad. Is that the idea? Like, so the people who are kind of using this, like it's only marketing stuff. It's only for money. It's only for pushing stuff. It's only positive. Like people end up seeing through the authenticity. Is that the argument against like why that stuff doesn't work? Yeah, people see that this is um, an intentional filter that people apply to the, the content that they share. And they then they start wondering, what is the intention behind the filter? So authenticity, it, it's, it's, it's easy to question somebody's honesty if you think they're lying, you know? And it's so many people see marketing as just lying to them to get them to buy stuff. So when they see something similar to that... In, in the in personal brand communication, they just project the, their negative feelings from one to the other. So being honest, being truthful and sharing negative stuff, which is not necessarily the same, but one is the, uh, the consequence of the other, that just alleviates the, the fear of being tricked, which I think people just call trust. You know, like it, yeah, it yeah. increases so it just trust. Build trust. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. And then my other, my, my most skeptical question is like, I guess if you broaden the definition to the learning in public or because like if you're if your expertise is on Beanie Babies and you're you're like the Beanie Baby guy or gal and you're talking about Beanie Babies and like I don't exactly know what the negative of that is, but maybe like, oh, I made a bad sale on my Beanie Baby trading or whatever, then maybe my question doesn't make sense. But in the sense of like a founder or an exec or someone building in public, why don't I see big companies doing this? Why isn't there like a $50 million company doing it? Hundred And maybe there is, I just don't know it. But it's normally very indie hackery, which is not a bad thing. But I'm just kind of curious, like, is it just not for them? They have other strategies. They have more money to invest, so they don't need to, like, and they're not interested in it. Like, what, what's your what's your take on that? So, so what immediately comes to mind is that there is um, a certain kind of distance between a big company and their customers and an indie business and their customers. So when I think about my podcast, for example, right, my past podcast hosting is done by Transistor, Transistor FM. That's Justin Jackson, John Buda. I know these people. I communicate with these people. If And if I have a problem, I reach out to them, not through some widget on their website, but on Twitter. I just message them. They follow me, right? That's that's the kind of, there's this very, I'm very close to them. So I, I care about them not just as a provider of, as a ser- of a service. I care about them as a participant in the community of which I'm also part. And most huge businesses, at some point, they just kind of navigate towards the more corporate enterprise thinking or even presentation of themselves, which means that there's a really clear line in the sand between the business and its customers. Barely do I see them in the same community. Right. Even MailChimp has this problem, right? Like they're getting bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden, what used to be like a small little indie or at least uh, used a lot by indie people 
uh, tool come, becomes a much more enterprisey thing, and with that comes weird pricing changes, and you know that it has it has an impact on the distance that people feel the perceived distance between themselves and the brand, and then building in public just feels inauthentic because it's it is inauthentic because there is no person that is the brand anymore or that has like kind of a um this the, the same feeling that i i guess that the best comparison in a huge company that i could make would be tesla and elon musk where he feels like he is the company obviously there is so much i don't even want to get into this but that's like as far as i would project like a personal brand and a, and a professional brand intersecting there that the thing about building in public that i really like is that if you as a founder build 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 in public no matter what happens to your business your personal brand is always going to grow right if your business flops that itself is a built in public event you can talk about how your business failed. You can share the lessons you learned from how you did everything wrong. And, you know, people learn from that and they make their own mistakes, but at least they know where the potential risks are from that. So you get a boost in your expertise. Even as a failed founder, the failing is catapulting you up into the next kind of founder level echelon somewhere. So that, that to me is... Um, that makes building public so interesting for individual founders or small groups of founders. The moment it becomes a gigantic business with divisions and, you know, all kinds of things, the, the personal doesn't reflect the business anymore and it becomes hard to, um, to see it as the same thing. Then it gets into what you said earlier. When people start talking about their own um, jobs in the company, you can be a product manager and talk about your journey of becoming a better product manager. Like, what have you been working on in the past? What kind of projects have you been, if you're allowed to say this, and this is kind of where the problem comes in from the other side, the legal department, right? If, you, if you're allowed to share in, insider knowledge from inside your business. I think building in public, the way it exists right now, is so young as, a, as an activity and so undefined that... The legal framework around it to, to have it be allowed in larger businesses where you are not the owner of the business, right? And we talked about ownership, makes this kind of fuzzy enough to ignore it, to be, to be more of a risk than it is a potential reward. So, But I think, I think what's interesting is like Elon is a really good example. Like a MailChimp, you know, not to give intention or make assumptions, but to kind of speak to it. It's like, like the scale changes, right? Like the scale changes and the customer ICP changes because it's not the early adopters anymore who are very different than the core company or customer. But I think Elon is is really like it's it is a build in public framework, whether he would call it that or not. And he does share failures. He does share ridiculous things. He does share successes. And I really like it. And I'm always like, I, I hate to be that skeptic, but I really like this because I just think that that authenticity can scale. And I do think that those cycles work and, and it might be like build in public for a hundred million dollar company just kind of looks different, but then those who try it, it's always looks like forced authenticity, but it just might be something different that we haven't thought of yet because we haven't developed there. But yeah, all things with time, my friend. All I think so. I, I, I think it's really a process that we, I mean, we're, we're at the, 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 the start of it really. I mean, people, people have been building in public since 2008. That's like the earliest that I've found the kind of phrase. Got it. And yeah, if you look so at, we need to, you know, that, that is yeah, like, yeah. it's not even 20 years that in, in, in terms of the, the businesses ad adapting to change, that is nothing. So we'll see. I look forward to billionaire Arvid building in public uh, one day. But honestly, uh, that's not my goal. Can tell you that. Like, I want to be in my basement doing what I want to do, write books and hang out with my dog. That's my goal. No, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Well, I look forward to a billionaire who built in public. I think that'd be really fascinating. But um, I appreciate it, man. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, anything you want to plug? Anything like that? Oh, I, I spend way too much time on Twitter, so people will find me there. Avidka, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You, you are a good one to follow. You are a very good one to follow. Oh, I learn thanks. a lot from your stuff, so oh, I that's appreciate really sweet. it. Yeah, my DMs are open, so just reach out to me, whatever. And also for you, if you want to talk about anything that bothers you, you're always welcome to chat with me, honestly. I appreciate you know. that, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad our friendship went to the next level of yeah. actually speaking nice. to one another, which is yeah, good. Cool. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. A huge shout out to Arvid Call for doing this podcast. Now you have what it takes to build in public. 
Today, we talked about the intangible rewards of selling a company, coping with grief after an exit, the fundamentals of building in public, why losses resonate more than wins, and how authenticity scales. If you want to support Paddle and the show, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle.